Amen. Last year, it was a theme of discovering the glory. Give God a hand for what he did. He did a lot. It's amazing, you know, the, we, I often think of the story where the loaves and fishes got brought to Jesus. It wasn't near enough, but the Lord took it, lifted it to the Father, prayed, and it multiplied. And that's what I feel what God does here. We, we, all, all we have is some loaves and fishes. We don't have enough. But you take it to God and say, God, would you multiply this? He multiplies it, and you stand and say, God, look what you did. Wow, it's unbelievable what you did. And uh, I watched last year's video. And I think, man, what is ahead of us? Because the principle is this. In the scriptures, you go from glory to glory. You go from faith to faith. You go from strength to strength. And then the Bible says the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter. And so that was pretty bright. So get some sunglasses on because this year is going to be brighter as we go into this next year. And we're excited to see what God's going to do here. And uh, the neat thing is he uses ordinary people. And uh, we're pretty ordinary around here. So God takes ordinary people and he puts his extraordinary upon them. And something extra happens in the city. Something super happens in the city. And so good to have you with us this morning. The first Sunday of 2011. And uh, you're starting it off. At church, way to go. Get to be in church the first Sunday of the year and just look at your neighbor this morning and say, you are in the right place this morning. Good to be here. Start off on the right foot and uh, let's, let's go. Let's get into 2011 and go full blast, like we used to say, pedal to the metal and uh, just... Uh, Give everything we have for God, what he's going to be doing this year, and uh, it's a, going to be an exciting year. Last year, our theme was discovering God's glory, and we could go back and review all the different ways that that did take place, and this year, we're going to talk about empowering the future. That's going to be our theme this year, building the next generation of leaders. Really excited about it. We believe that God's got something in store for us this year, and uh, we're going to see that unfold as we go along. Uh, Yogi Berra, who was a famous New York uh, Yankee catcher. Uh, he had a great eight education, so his English wasn't always so good, but he, he ended up giving some pretty good sayings. He's the one who said, it ain't over till it's over, and you've heard that saying before. But he also said, the future ain't what it used to be. And you think about it, there's a lot of wisdom in that. The future ain't what it used to be. And this generation, as they look towards the future, they might not have the same outlook on the future as maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago. There's a lot of uncertainty in the future. However, if God's for us, who can be against us? And we want to go into this year and into the future empowered by God for what lies ahead of us. Uh, the future means what lies ahead of us, by definition. It comes from a Latin word, which means what is about to be. And, of course, the question is what is about to be in 2011? What's going to unfold this year? I looked up a few trends just as, we, uh, as a way of introduction of what could happen this year from different people that monitor trends, global trends, they said there's potential for water crises, food crises, and a crisis in electricity. They also said look for new uh, power brokers in 2011. Another group, uh, Future World, they said look for, the, and this, a number of people said this one. As I looked through, a lot of people were saying this, a personalization of services. They're saying people who market things will have to have more personal touch than ever before because uh, technology and the things get more and more mechanized. Uh, we need to have more personal touch on what we sell if we're going to be able to make anything uh, marketable if consumers want it. So look for that. They said look for a greater move towards urbanization and mobility. Well, we see that happening, but just we'll see more of that. 
You know, sometimes the church needs to really know what's going on. We can, the church, if it has its head stuck in the stand, sand, will miss what God wants them to do. And if we want to empower the next generation, we kind of have to know what, where the next generation is and what they're thinking. Too often the church sends a message, but that next generation has changed addresses. They're not living there anymore. And uh, we, we, we have the right message, but we've got to send it to the right address. So it's good just to know what's going on. Uh, they also said another group called Mintel, Consumer Trends. They, here's some things that they said to watch for 2011. Retire for hire. More and more people that are retiring have to get hired because they didn't save any money, and now they've got to go get a job. Look for that trend. Uh, marketers are saying there will be uh, focusing... Marketers this year, they say, will focus less on the year you were born, and they'll focus on more where you're at with your life. In the past, okay, you were born this year, you were born this year. Now they're focusing on what are you doing with your life. That's how they'll market to you. And interestingly enough, one of the things that's coming up, a future trend, they said was, because they've been monitoring men doing cleaning chores. Interesting thing to trend. And they found that there's an increase in the number of men that are the sole cleaners of houses, and it's increased sharply. In 2008, it was 27%. And in 2010, it's 32%. So what does that have to do with it? So this year, they're predicting that the marketers, will, you'll see a masculization of women. More and more things become masculized for the women. It used to be you had the, what was it called? The Metro Man, or what was it called? What's that? Yeah, something like that. Anyhow, now they'll say, now it's more and more masculinization of women. They, they say that's a trend that's coming. You'll see that coming up this year. Look in the future. Uh, another group said more cloud computing. I'm still not sure what that is, uh, so I better get with it. Uh, social analytics. They're going to be monitoring more how we live. Every time you use your card to swipe something, all that information is gathered, and they're going to do more and more analytics on how to reach us, sell to us. So that's increasing more than ever. IKEA. These are the big words for IKEA this year. Pink, ethical, textural. So that's where they're going. Uh, I don't know what that means. Trend watching. Another group said uh, consumers are going to have a greater hunger for human touch because we've kind of lost that with all this technology. There's kind of now revert back. Hey, I, I just I need somebody to touch me. It's, it's so I'm, I can touch my iPhone, my iPad, my, my stuff. But I, I want to... There's a hunger coming back for people just to have this human touch. And so... People that sell stuff are going to go out of their way to try and put a human touch, human element to it because there's a need for it. Uh, what else did they say? Uh, that's stuff. Oh, one other one was with increased urbanization, uh, more and more people moving to the cities, they are feeling that this coming year there will be, again, less emphasis on the traditional social and family structure as things. And so all the more reason why we in a church in the heart of the city, have to and need to continue to promote godly homes, godly homes, and godly families. And it goes kind of countercultural to do that. I'm just of the opinion that the church should be affecting the culture instead of the culture affecting the church. And I think the early church did that, and we, we have the same God that they did. We have the same Holy Spirit. And so I think if we do what they did, we can affect culture around us. So how would we do that? Well, it starts very simply with one thing, prayer. The church prayed. It all started in the upper room praying. And there's something like, like Cheryl mentioned earlier, what we need to do is we need to be praying. As we go into this year, prayer. 
It's the key for any church in any time with any generation is the power of prayer. And so that's where we'll head this year. Not less prayer. More prayer. Somebody asked, are we going to be fasting January? Oh, you know, because the last couple of years we've fasted in January. We don't have a set fast this January. If you're going to be fasting, I encourage you to do that. It's a great book. It's in the bookstore on it. There's great information. We have past messages on fasting, and we could make those available to you. But we won't be doing a fast, at least that I'm aware of, in January. We feel that it's good for the Holy Spirit to lead us into a fast. You can't play the fasting card all the time as a church. Corporate fasts have to be played at the right time. And we could just say, well, every January we'll fast, but I, I feel no leading of the Holy Spirit to do it. And so we don't want to do it out of works or uh, out of ritual. And I don't know when we'll need to fast in the future, but I know that at some point the Holy Spirit will say, okay, now it's time for us all to fast. And we want to be ready for that when he asks us to do it. But individually, you may want to, encourage you to do it, but as a church, we won't corporately fast as we go into 2011. It may come in July, it may come in December, it may come in 2012, but we'll just say, Lord, when do you want us to fast, and then we'll move into it. So some of you have asked that question just to give you, uh, answer that question for you. Today we're going to talk about empowering the future, and uh, if the church wants to fulfill the commission that our Lord gave us, then we have to be building the next generation of leaders. In order to do that, we have to engage the next generation. Uh, they're not engaged. They're not going to show up. And if there's an area that the church needs to work on is engaging the next generation. And this next generation, man, they're, like, they're unlike any other generation. And every generation has a challenge of passing on to the next generation. I think... Maybe they've all said that, but I think we have some unique challenges in passing on to the next generation. They are very mobile. They, they love communication. They're always communicating. Uh, email, by the way, is old school. I found that out. You only email if it's a very, very formal thing you must do. Otherwise, it's Facebook and texting. But, and so the whole way of communication has changed, and we need to be aware of that. This generation, a lot of them grew up with you know, they didn't have the solid families that there was 20, 30 years ago. Maybe one parent, divorced parents, and yet a lot of times the church is expecting them to have a really good grip on these things, but they don't. A lot of them didn't grow up in church. A lot of those that come to our church that are in their 20s and 30s, they didn't come from a church background. They don't know how to do church. So I think as we engage them, we have to understand that where they came from is very different where a generation ago came from. They have a very different background. And it's good to understand that if we're going to engage them and say, hey, we'd love to have you. We, God's got a plan for you. There, there's something here for you. So it's good for us to know that as we engage them, we welcome them. And uh, we love to do that. I saw that clip there, and we saw the pictures of regeneration. Looking forward to regeneration again this summer. It's always a highlight of the year when we have that whole summer, every Wednesday night, focused on the 20s and 30s, that whole generation. And we look forward to this, uh, this summer with that. Now, we have to engage them, but we also need to show them that there's a cause and that they're needed. If we're going to empower the future, that's kind of the theme for the year, and we want to build the next generation of leaders, but if they don't know there's a battle, why do they need power? If they don't know there's a cause, why do I need your power? The first thing we have to know is there's a cause. There's a battle, and you're really needed in the battle. But if they don't see there's a battle, they don't see there's a cause, why should I bother showing up? 
And if all the heavy lifting's been done and the church has arrived, what do I need to be there for? We haven't arrived. The work has not all been done. The biggest project, the biggest battles for us as a church are still ahead of us. Sometimes we talk about the battle to get this building, and it was a battle. But folks, that is not the last battle, nor is that the biggest battle, the biggest cause ahead of us. There are great things that need to be done, and God needs every generation, including the next generation, in order to get the job done. David is a good example of it. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is a story where David beats Goliath. You learned that story first when you went to Sunday school. One of the first stories you, you heard was that story. And it's an amazing story. David, as you know, he's, a, he's young. He's probably a teenager. And his brothers have gone off to battle. He was asked to stay home and take care of the, the sheep. And later on, his dad says, hey, why don't you take your, your brothers some, uh, a meal? So he takes some bread and some cheese and meat and whatever. He goes out to meet his brothers, and they get out there, and, and the brothers are surprised to see him. And if you have your Bible, verse 28, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he, um, David shows up and basically says, hey, how come you guys aren't taking on these Philistines? Why aren't you in this battle? And Eliab, his brother, gets ticked off at him. And his anger aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left your, those few sheep in the wilderness? Can you hear just a little bit of a dig in there? Uh, who did you leave your little few sheep with? And with whom have you, and knowing your pride and your insolence of your heart, for you've just come down here to see the battle. And I love David's response. David says, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? See, hear that phrase? Isn't there a cause? This guy's young. He's a teenager. He's the next generation. But he says, there's a cause, and that's the reason I'm here. I, I came here to do this, but I'm seeing a cause. And my brother, I'm here to do something about it. He caught it. What empowers him? What gives him this, oh, I'm going to do something? A cause. If we don't know there's a cause, if we don't know there's a battle, if that next generation doesn't know there's a battle, they'll just slip into mediocrity. And it happens in our family. The first generation maybe doesn't have a lot, so they work really hard. They get the house, they get the home, they get all the things. The next generation doesn't have to fight for it, so they kind of slip into mediocrity. But if they know there's a cause, if they know there's a battle, they're like any other young person. Give me a cause. Give me a challenge. I love a challenge, and I want to do it. If anything, this year, we want to say to the next generation, there's a challenge, there's a battle, and the Lord has need of you. We need you. We need... We need every generation, and we need this generation. In the weeks to come, we'll talk about some other aspects. Of it. We'll talk about why we need to, in our homes, train up the next generation. The first institution God made was the home. It's the divine school. If there ever is a divine school, it's the home. We'll talk about mentorship. Every generation has a role to play. And one of the studies, we'll just talk about how to be mentored. How to mentor. What's our role? How do we pass it on? The Bible talks a lot about passing it on. We'll, we'll go through some of those things. And if we're going to be here 50 years from now, we have a dream. Martin Luther had a dream. Uh, Martin, yeah, Dr. Luther King. Yeah, Martin Luther King. Anyhow, he had a dream, and his dream was impacted the world. We have a dream. What's our dream? A hundred years from now, 150 years from now, there's a church that's vibrant, alive in the heart of the city that's more on fire than it is today. 
And that won't happen if we don't say, hey, let's raise up the next generation. And by the way, that means the previous generation has to stay on fire for God. I once used to sing and get excited and, like Pastor Show was saying, be a, you know, a great worshiper, but now I've kind of petered out. Why did you peter out? Why did, why did the flame die? This next generation is looking for, uh, man, God touched you when you were in your 20s. He touched you in your 30s. Where's your passion? Nobody wants to follow that. I'm going to fire some man. I used to lead people to Jesus, but I don't do that anymore. Why? What happened to it? And it needs to continue all the way through our lives, unless, unless I'm missing something. And then there's another generation that's looking. And folks, honestly, for our church, many of our young people that are coming, the teens and 20s, they don't have a Christian parent or a Christian example. We're it. We're the only example they see. And they say, oh, this is what it's like to serve God when I'm in my 50s, 60s, or 70s. And we're the example we give them. So we have an incredibly important role for this next generation. Okay, we're moving on here. David. David, it says, isn't there a cause? See, his motivation was tested by his brother. Then in verse uh, 32, David says to Saul, you know, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Don't you like the, love the zeal of youth, young people? Hey, I'll go do it. Nobody else wants to do it. I'll go do it. I don't care how big he is. God's with me. Let's go do this thing. Don't ever kill that. It may be wildfire. It may need to be some coach. It may need some, may need some wisdom, but don't kill the fire. If anything you want to do is fuel that, just give it some guidance. So he says, hey, I'll go take this guy on. What's the big deal? God's with us. I killed a lion and I killed a bear, and I think we can take care of this sucker too. So let's go. David says to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when the lion or bear came out and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after and struck it, delivered from the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose from me, I caught it by its beard and I struck and killed it. All right, that's some good. Uh, <laughs> he's done some things. He also talks about how he, he, he killed the lion and the bear. And he said, this, we'll take care of this uncircumcised Philistine. So uh, David, then his, he, Saul says, well, here's my armor. Put on my armor. David tries it on. It doesn't, doesn't really fit for him. And he says, you know, I, this is not going to work for me. I'm going to have to just trust in God. Now, they didn't have a lot of armor back then. Uh, the Philistines had the, they had the technology for metallurgy. The Israelites didn't. And so they didn't have a lot of armor. And it was a big deal to have the latest armor. And David could have walked out there, strut his stuff in the king's armor. And that would have been a lot of pride. But David's humility was tested. And as much as he was like, yes, let's go get them, at the same time, understand, especially next generation, that there was this humility in his heart. I will trust God. I can't do this on my own. I'm young. I'm vibrant. I'm full of passion. But I know I've got to trust God in everything I do. You see that little nugget for, for David there? He, was, he had it. He knew it was his God connection. And that's ultimately what gets tested with David because he gets up in front of this big Goliath and Goliath starts trash-talking him. He says, man, I'm going to feed you to the birds. And he's, he, he's just like you're in a sports game and you line up at the puck and the puck's being dropped. Your opponent trash-talks you or you're playing basketball. You line up and they trash-talk you or football. They trash-talk you. Well, he's being trash-talked. 
And he, he responds with, the final line is, dude, the battle belongs to the Lord. He says, I ain't fighting you. I know I'm smaller than you. You are. I know you're a more experienced fighter, but I'm young and I got a God connection. And that's enough. See, every generation has to experience God for themselves. You can't live off a secondhand experience. And God's done something great. He's done something great here in our lives. But folks, every generation must have a God experience. You can't live off secondhand faith. It's your faith. David Livingston, he's one of my favorite characters as far as a person who had a heart for God as a young man went to Africa and covered so much of Africa. He impacted the the Christian world. He certainly impacted even others that would go into Africa after him. And he said this, I think I have it in your notes, this generation can only reach this generation. And if we don't empower that next generation, they won't be able to reach the next generation. So we need to do that. David said, hey, I'm going to be able to go and do this because God's with me. Now, in Psalm 71, verse 18, don't turn your sheet over yet. We're not done yet. I know I did the Livingston quote, so just just hang in there on the first page a little longer, right? Psalm 71, verse 18, David says, Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me. Oh, God, let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. David never lost sight of the need for every generation to experience the power of God. Not everybody was like that. If you study the life of David over and over again in the Psalms, he said, let me help the next generation. Let me help the next generation. I think if you hung around David, I think he loved having younger people around him. I think he loved to invest into them. He wanted to build the temple for them. And uh, Nathan, the prophet, his friend, said, you know what? Yes, go ahead and do it. Nathan goes that night, has a sleep. And in that sleep, he has a dream that he shouldn't actually do it that way. He comes back and says, oh, you're not supposed to do it that way. But you should store up the materials for your son and let him build the temple. So you know what David does? David builds the builder. David builds the worshiper who would build the house of worship for God. And what a lesson there for us. Sometimes our generation, we would like to build it, but God's saying, I don't want you to build it. I want you to build the builder in your house, your son. You wanted to do this with your life, but I want you to build it into your children because they're going to do it. That's an act of faith. David, again, if he had pride, he could have said, wait a minute. I, had, I conquered all this. I, I saved this up. I want to build it. I want to enjoy it. You've seen the bumper sticker, you know, we're spending our kids' inheritance. David didn't spend his kids' inheritance. He saved it up for the next generation. Set aside some gold, set aside some silver and materials, and said, Solomon, I'm going to teach you, son. Solomon was wise. Why do you think when God says, what do you want? He said, I want wisdom. Where did he get that from? I think he got it from a dad who said, I'm going to spend some time with you, son. I'm going to help you get ready because you're going to do something bigger than I did. What's the best thing we can do this generation? Say, God did something with us, but God's doing something greater through you, and we're going to get behind you. We're going to empower you. We're going to help pay for it. You know, today we've got people that want to come into our internship program, but they don't have, catch this, $3,000. Where some of us are sitting on a nest egg worth millions. We need to give up 
$3,000 to empower the next generation so they can do something greater than we did. Don't worry about your retirement. You won't miss that $3,500. But how do I know they might squander it? How did David know Solomon might miss it? But I don't even know these people. But your father does. Your father called them. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to make anybody feel guilty. Myself included. I'm just saying sometimes we have to give our head a shake and say, wait a minute, what's going on? We got people signing up saying, I want to give a year of my life as a young person because I want to learn how to do this and I want to impact the world. I just haven't had a chance to save up a couple thousand dollars. David, you know how much money he put aside for his son to build that temple? Catches 7,000, not pounds, tons, 7,000 tons of gold. 7,000 tons, 2,000 pounds per ton. And I don't know how many, like 30,000 or something tons of silver, not to mention all the wood and all the other stuff. He says, son, I got it for you. Of course, he had it for the Lord as well. But he was empowering the next generation to do something radical for God. And he felt so fulfilled doing it. I love what he said. I'm old and gray. God, don't abandon me. you got a purpose for me. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation. And you know what? That new generation wants to hear it. Tell me the stories. Tell me what God did. Tell me about it. Because when God worked through your life, I wanted to work through my life. There is a hunger for God in this next generation like never before. There's a spiritual hunger in this postmodern culture we're living in. My generation, we thought science could solve all the problems. But this next generation said, science did not solve all the problems. We've got an environmental problem. We've got war still. We, we might, you guys might have went to the moon, but you didn't fix the planet. And so we're going to look for some other things to help us. Maybe it is spiritual. After all, you ditched what your parents taught you, but I think I'm going to go back to what your grandmother and great-grandmother had to say because they might have had something that you blew off. So there's a hunger for those spiritual truths. Engage the next generation. Show them that there's a cause and that they're needed. Secondly, we have to show them how to lead. That's why we have an internship program. That's why we start Bible school up uh, on, what is it, I guess it would be the 12th. We start up, launch a new Bible school. We had one in the past. We retooled, better academic credits and so forth. And we have life groups teaching them how to lead, leadership summit, lots of different ways teaching how to lead. I think, I could be wrong on this, but I think, in my humble opinion, I think the church can be and should be the greatest incubator of leaders on the planet. It's the safest place to lead. You can blow it. You can make mistakes here. We still cheer you on. Way to go. It happens every week for me. People still say a nice sermon, even though I usually make 10 or 12 mistakes a message. Somebody still says, well done. Kids can get up and do their little recital and they may blow up. We still say, yeah, way to go. Why? Because we believe in each other. Your family, after all, we cheer you on. It's an incubator for leadership. Leading a life group, a great place to learn how to lead. Just one of many different areas. Leading a team, it's a place to learn leadership. I'll tell you what, some of the best teachers on leadership are in the body of Christ. 
last month, I took, one, I took my son Matt to this leadership conference put on by one of the uh, marketplace groups here in the city. We sat down, attended this leadership seminar, and it was good. But Matt and I walked away from that and said, I would go any day to the Willow Creek Leadership Summit over that any day. The depth, the quality, the, 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 the price. I tell you what, we, the body of Christ has some incredible, incredible leaders. And when you see other great leaders, usually they're just quoting the Bible but not giving credit for the source anyhow because truth has its, or it all comes from the same place. You follow the headwaters up to truth and you'll find that God is truth. So that's a side note. Show them how to lead. Joshua, now sadly, he's an example of a leader who was good at leading his generation, but he failed to engage the generation that followed. Here's a sad verse in the Bible, Judges 2.10. Eventually that entire generation died and was buried. Then another generation grew up. Look at this closely. That didn't know anything of God or the work that he had done for Israel. So God phoned them and said, please, do something about this. (laughs) They didn't know anything about, how sad is that? Did Joshua do something in his generation? Absolutely, man, they, 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 he followed up what Moses started, took him into the promised land. He was an amazing leader, Joshua and Caleb, the ones who went out to spy out the land, came back with the good report. He was an amazing leader for his generation. But for whatever reason, I don't know it all. That's a good question to ask why. We could talk about that in our life group, James. Why? Why didn't the next generation know? What happened? Maybe they didn't engage the next generation. Next generation is a promised land. They're texting. They don't do email anymore. They're, they're on a different planet. You guys lived in Egypt. You guys were in the wilderness, but we're in the promised land. I don't understand your generation. I don't know what the reason was. But they didn't engage that next generation. And sadly, a whole generation grows up and doesn't know God or they don't know the works of God. Wow. We want to we bypass that. We, we want to engage the next generation, teach them how to be great leaders, teach them how to know God, how to experience the power of God. I don't know about you, but I grew up hungry to hear about the power of God. When my dad would tell the story of how they escaped out of Russia with the Red Army hot on their heels and how God supernaturally protected them, how God warned my grandfather in a wheat field one night when the Red Army was camped in their house with a gun pointed at his, at his wife and the kids. And in that, in, that, in that wheat field, God spoke to him in an audible voice. I said, Dad, tell me that story again. I want to hear the story of your, God's power again. And when I would read books from other authors about how God moved in that generation, I said, God, move in our generation. Every generation has that hunger. And our responsibility is to cultivate that hunger and to show them that you too don't need a secondhand experience of God. You can experience God and his power in your place, in your battle. God's going to be there with you. And this isn't going to get dimmer. This thing's going to get brighter. If darkness increases, light increases. Yeah. First generation knew the Lord of the work. Second generation knew the work of the Lord. But sadly, the third generation neither 
knew the Lord of the work, nor the work of the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12.1, you could write that verse in your notes. There it says, remember the, your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. Man, if you're in your teens, if you're in your 20s, if you're in your 30s, I just highly encourage you, know the creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. We have counseled way too many people who did not do that. They could have, but they chose to, I want to experience life, and I want to, I want to do this and that, and I'll do church later. And then you try to put back the pieces. Their minds are flooded with all kinds of garbage that happened during those years. And you think, man, if you just, if you just stuck with God during those, the best years of your life. Man, I, I love to shout this from the rooftop. I love to climb up a pew and shout this to you this morning. Young people, get to know God in your youth. I promise you, if you give them the best years of your life, the best. Not, oh, when I'm 30, 40, when I retire, I'll go on a mission trip. Give them the best years of your life now and watch what your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s will be like. You will never regret it. You won't have some stinking foundation. You've got to jack up the whole building, pull it out, and redo it, and then it still doesn't line up the way it should. But if you do it right, you'll build on that foundation and things will stay in line the rest of your life. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. Do it now. So, but oh, they want me here. They want me there. Just say, no, God wants me. As for me and my house, decide it young. We'll serve the Lord. Will you get pulled upon? Yes. Will you get opposition? Yes. Are you going to get persecuted? Yes. Welcome to the club. Christianity is not an easy ride. Jesus never said it's going to be. You know, you're going to feel good all the time and everybody's going to pat you on your back and say, way to go, you're going to church. No, they're going to harass you for going to church. You're in church again? You were in church last week. You go to Alpha on Monday nights and you go to Life Group on Wednesday night and you go to church on Sunday. What's with that? It's my life. It's my foundation. It's my cause. There's a wide way and a narrow way. I suggest choose the narrow way. And it will pay huge dividends in your life. David Livingston, again, quoting him this morning, God had only one son. He made him a missionary. God wants to make something out of our life, and we need to show the next generation how to lead. Lastly, not only do we need to show them there's a cause and show them how to lead, the next generation, we have to show them that we believe in them. This is really important. You know, when Jesus entered the ministry, was water baptized, you know what the first words that his father spoke to him? Understand he had done no miracles. This wasn't after he fed the 5,000. This wasn't after he, you know, turned the water into wine. This isn't after all the different miracles, healing the sick or casting out a devil. Not, not after that. Before any of that, God says to him at his baptism, we read about it in Luke chapter 3, 21 to 22. It's there in your notes. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. I never saw this before. As he was praying, I always thought John the Baptist did the praying, but Jesus was praying during his baptism. As he was praying, the heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. A voice from heaven said, 
Look at these words. You are my beloved son, and I'm fully pleased with you. You know what God was saying? You know what the father was saying? I believe in you. I believe in you. Four huge words the next generation needs to hear. I believe in you. Now, I think Jesus had those words with him as he went through his ministry. Again, on the, when they went up to the mountain to pray, and God speaks again those same words to him. God could have said a lot of things. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he could have said a lot of things. But he says those words. If Jesus needed those words, how much more do we need those words? How much more does the next generation need those words? Well, when they get all A's, I'll say it. No, no, they need it before they get all A's. When they finally get their act together and do this and do that, then I'll say it. No, take a lesson from God the Father. We say it before because that fuels us to do something awesome for God. I believe in you. And I think a coastal church, if there's a message we want to send to the next generation, is this. We believe in you. We believe in you. There's a cause for you. There's a place for you. We want to teach you. We want to train you. We're all involved in this. We're a family. But we believe in you. You're not the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. At our Christmas banquet, we intentionally had the next generation do everything from play the piano to sing the songs to next generation. We believe in you. You know what happens when you get that revelation? The first thing Satan does, he tries to undermine that revelation. Right after this, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tempted. Luke chapter 4, look what happens. The devil said to him, I underline this. If you are the son of God, well, if they really believe in you, why did they do this? Well, if they really believe in you, how come you got put on a different schedule? Well, if they really believe, the first thing he does is he undermines that revelation. Because guess what? If you realize God believes in you, others believe in you, you have an incredible God confidence that allows you to defeat the Goliaths in your life. And he loved to undermine that. But God said, no, no, I believe in you. How do we respond? Same way Jesus did. It is written, and he quotes a scripture, the enemy flees. There's a cause for the spirit to be upon us. In Luke chapter 4, if you go along, now we're back to where we started. The next generation needs a cause. What's our cause? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why is the spirit of God upon us? Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Why is the spirit? What's the cause? Preach the gospel to the poor. Heal the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Recover his sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. Folks, this is his cause. This is our cause. This is every generation's cause. This is our Lord's vision. And when we get his vision, his cause, we'll say, hey, the Lord has need of me. I want to be a part of this. David Livingston said, do we pray thy kingdom come, but never hear my Lord send me. I hope we pray, Lord, hear my send me. I hope every generation does. We may be here and we're not in our 20s or 30s. Maybe we're here. We just, man, I, I just became a Christian. I'm in my 50s or I'm in my 40s. Does it include me? Absolutely. Absolutely. God's got a place for every single one of us to do what he needs to get done 
in 2011. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray and let's ask God to be at work in our lives as we go into this year. It's a new year, new goals, new challenges, and God's saying something to his church today. The greatest harvest is ahead of you. The greatest days are ahead of you. But we must empower the next generation to get things done. You Maybe you're here and you've never had that personal relationship with God through what Jesus Christ has done for you. I would like to lead you in a prayer this morning. We'll all pray it out loud together. But would you pray with me this morning? A sincere prayer, acknowledging the Lord in your life, inviting him into your life. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, this Sunday morning, I open my heart and I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. I accept Jesus Christ and what he did for me when he died and rose again, that I might have life. Amen. Heads bowed.